Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I am Kurt Heelan, Managing Editor of Pro Basketball Talk, with you as always. And today, actually, a fun show. First, we're talking Knicks. We're talking with, actually, rookie point guard Frank Nielakina about his transition to the NBA, how he's getting more comfortable, how Jarrett Jack has helped with that, even some peanut butter and jelly talk. And then we're going to move with Dan Feldman from NBC Sports to preview all the Christmas Day games. But first... If you can, right now, go into iTunes and subscribe. Just go to applepodcast.com slash PBT on NBC. Subscribe to this podcast. Comment, rate us, let us know what you think, what you want to see more of. And then uh, you can also find us. Look, we're in Google Play, we're in Stitcher and all the other apps. Please subscribe. And from there, let's move on and begin our conversation with the uh, rookie point guard from the Knicks who's playing a lot of key minutes lately my conversation with Frank Nielakina. You seem to be not only just more aggressive, but more comfortable with the NBA game lately. Do you feel that way? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I feel that way. I'm obviously feeling more comfortable uh, on that court uh, with uh, these uh, repetition of games. But I think I still think I can do I, I can do more. Can I will keep working on my game to be even more comfortable. I know Jared Jack was telling you to try to play more with instinct and not and, and play just play your game and not think too much. Has that been part of it? Just kind of being yourself out there now. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, I was thinking uh, like uh, maybe too much, a little too much before. So he helped me, gave me a lot of advice uh, on how to play. Just just we all thinking, and he saw he saw me playing when I was myself. So he was like he, he understand it, and uh, so he gave me a little tips and. No, I just get it, and uh, I feel a little more comfortable. Um, off the pick and roll, you, you're being really comfortable. You kind of attack, and you've, you're really comfortable with like mid-range pull-ups and stuff. I'm sure the coaches are telling you to get to the rim more, but it, that mid-range pull-up is something you seem you've worked on it, and you're comfortable with, and it works for you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to be more comfortable on the court and uh, trying to see. Uh, what uh, other teams give to you. So to me, that means when shot something that teams give a lot. So uh, I got more reps uh, uh, at practice. I knew it was something that I have to, that I have to keep working on and to keep uh, getting more confidence and comfort about it. So, yeah, I'm just like, trying to work on things that I can uh, bring to my team during the game. Is that part of the challenge now? It's just as you want to get better and mature, is just reading the game and having it just kind of slow down for you? Has it slowed down so far? Yeah, I mean, yeah, slow down a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm less
now I, I start just being more comfortable and I know that comfort is coming by yeah, practicing, working hard and just learning how to game, watch tapes, a lot, watch a lot of tapes and yeah, just understanding and I mean the process is <clears throat> this process is uh, just about time and I know with time if I keep going up, if I keep working hard and keep learning uh, it will can go only uh, better. Yeah, you, you, it shows on the court. And you've also been doing stuff off the court. I mean, now you're involved in the community. You're working with Jif and Smuckers to help the Boys and Girls Club of America. How did you get involved with that? And tell me a little about it. So, um, yeah, Jif and, and uh, Smuckers and the Boys and Girls Club of America helped me uh, learning how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> so I knew coming here in America, it was a big tradition. It was a good thing uh, uh, to eat. So uh, I didn't know how to do it uh, perfectly uh, because in France we don't do it a lot. So coming here, they, they teach me with the help of professionals. And so, yeah, we, we captured it in video. And uh, I just released in the, uh, this video uh, on, uh, on, uh, on the social media. And uh, so, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, because yeah, peanut butter and jelly is really like a very NBA thing now. With you know, I mean, the Knicks, I'm sure do it. All these other teams do it. What was on the training table in, table in Strasbourg? Like, what was different? Um, it was more like only just uh, foods or uh, uh, yeah, just foods or water or something, but not peanut butter and jelly. I mean, it's a very American thing. That's probably just one of the adjustments. I mean, you're coming over from the French league. Is the Transition for you, Ben, at 19, has it been harder on the court or adjusting off the court to the American lifestyle? Uh, it's been different. Uh, obviously, the culture is a little different. But, uh, I mean, the adjustment is here, uh, uh, was great here. Uh, the transition was easy. I had like, a couple of people that helped me uh, just yeah, just getting adjusted to the, to, the, to the lifestyle. And on the court, I had like, great teammates, like, just, like I said before, Jared Jack. And even all my teammates helped me uh, make that transition uh, to, uh, to the NBA. You've been really strong defensively kind of since day one. And I think you're, again, you're seeming more comfortable on that end and, and going up against, you know, good players like Lonzo Ball recently and stuff. How, is that a place you, I mean, I'm sure you feel you can improve, but is that a place you think you can impact more immediately? Yeah. Um, uh, I think, yeah, defensively, I have the tools and the abilities to. To uh, bring a lot to, to, to my team, uh, to deny a lot uh, the, the the opponent. So yeah, that's something I can bring uh, right now. I think it's defense like 80% of will, and then after 20% of abilities. But uh, I have some of the abilities, so I, I I mean, I know I can do it. I know I can bring a lot to my team on this uh, on this side of the court. So uh, that's just that's just what I'm trying to do. It's got to be different though. I mean, you don't see this much pick and roll, right? In 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 Europe. Yeah, the game is a little different, so it's one of the adjustments. But um, I mean, defense is basically like, like I said, maybe eighty uh, percent of will, and after twenty percent of uh, abilities. And uh, with the help of my teammates too, we all on the same page on defense. So uh, I mean, our defense gotta be gotta be strong. What kind of advice has Jeff Hornacek? I mean, you're playing for a coach who had a a long NBA career as a guard and, and probably ate more than his share of peanut butter and jelly back in the day. Like, um, how much, how much did, what is kind of advice has he given you? Uh, and how has he helped guide you through this? Uh, he helped me a lot. We talk a lot. Uh, he gave me a lot of advice. Uh, 
basically, yeah, he teach me how to be a, uh, a basketball player, a great basketball player, and I adjust to, to, to uh, all those challenges, like 82 games in one season, like all those challenges, all these talented players you have to uh, play against every night, and he give me a little tips on the game. So he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good coach, so he helped me a lot. Yeah, switching to the 82 games, I mean, you practice more and, and practice probably a lot harder over traditionally on a, on a European team. Uh, but have you had to change kind of how you take care of your body and how you work on recovery going into the kind of the, the marathon grind that's the NBA? Yeah, like you have to do a lot more to be, uh, to, be to give you a chance to be uh, 100% of, uh, in the game. So, yeah, during the, the day off, you have to do a lot more strategy to... Uh, to, to recover, like tub, uh, like uh, uh, jacuzzis, uh, treatment, a lot, of, a lot of this to just, yeah, stay healthy and uh, be 100%. I talk a little bit about, too, you have developed a really nice pick and roll chemistry, the pick and pop chemistry, really, a little bit with, with Chris Stapps Porzingis. You're able to kind of, you're good at finding the role guy in general, but you, you seem to have a connection with him. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, I mean, Kristaps is a great player. Uh, he's going to be even more great uh, in the future in his career. Uh, he's still young. He's going to develop. And, I mean, playing with him makes my job easier. Uh, how he's, how, he's, how tall he is and how uh, he can move on the court. Uh, I mean, you have to work to find him in the, in the, in the right spot. And, uh, I mean, we worked a lot together. We talk a lot together uh, on the court and off the court. Uh, so we work because we know... Uh, uh, we can we can do a lot of things together. One last question: what What is it now that the coaches are telling you? What are you working on? What is the What do you think you need for the next step in in your career? And as you go through this season, I'm uh, just growing up uh, in every part of the game. Uh, but yeah, now my focus is more on the on the on the offense and uh, how I run the team. Like like you said, uh, I'm getting more comfortable on the court. And but I won't stop here. I'm, I have to keep working on my game offensively and just uh, being more comfortable on finding my teammates, on uh, reading the game, on getting my my shots, and getting my points. And yeah, just like getting the win at the end of the day. Hornacek's trusting you to close games now. He's, I mean, you're not starting, but you're out there in the fourth. He played all of, most of fourth and overtime the other night. You have to love that opportunity. Yeah, I just love being on the court and like playing some games like that on overtime for court. Uh, give me a lot of experience, uh, uh, give me a lot of time where I can learn from. And for a young player, like it's just a blessing and a great opportunity to be to be uh, playing in that moment of the game. Thanks to Frank Nielakina for taking the time to join us and talk about his uh, entrance into the NBA. But uh, better late than never, let's move on to the holidays and get, uh, get our Christmas shopping done a little bit early with uh, Dan Feldman from NBC Sports. How's it going, Dan? Good. How are you? Good. Uh we're just going to run through and preview the Christmas Day games, and I think we'll just do that in order. And if you're going to do it in order, that means starting with, frankly, what I think might be one of the more interesting, if not the most interesting game of the day, the New York Knicks and Philadelphia 76ers. The good news, ultimately, out of this is that Kristaps Porzingis is playing. Joel Embiid is expected to play as of this recording. So it should be a kind of battle of two of the best big men in the East and, and two of the more kind of interesting up-and-coming teams in the East. Yeah, at least if those guys are playing, the 76ers are, are real bad without Embiid. And if, you know, I, I think Porzingis will play, he's definitely a further ahead 
Uh, the Knicks are okay. Otherwise, they're maybe a little deeper. Uh, the, the 76ers are one of these good, young, and up-and-coming teams because of Embiid. If you don't yes. have Embiid there, they're not. Ben Simmons is fun and interesting. They have some other uh, good players, too. But overall, they're just a bad team without Embiid. Yeah, actually, I ran the numbers the other day for um, in the three things to know from the night before. When Embiid's on the court, they are the equivalent of a 57-win team, and when he comes off, they're a 27-win team. <laughs> I mean, it just drops off a map without him. They they are not good on, really nearly as good on either end. He is essential to what they do. Um, but they do have some other pieces. Like you said, Ben Simmons is coming along as a rookie, and you can see how he can pair with them, and frankly, you can see the need for a second shot creator and why they need to get Markel Fultz back. But you know, Covington's ended up being a nice piece who they're going to have to pay now. They're They've got some good players coming in and around that. Like, you can see where that thing heads, right? I mean, you can finally see the trajectory that Sam Hinkie wanted. Absolutely. And part of it that I don't think gets discussed enough is the depth of their prospects. It's not just Embiid and Simmons and Fultz. You look at uh, the next tier of guys in whatever order, uh, Timothy Luau, Caraboa, Rashawn Holmes, even Justin Anderson or Furkan Korkmaz, who's been hurt, uh, they they have their uh, a pick from this year playing overseas playing very well. You know you look at those guys they don't even get mentioned because yeah they're second third tier prospects in Philadelphia. A lot of other teams would love to have a base of, of young players that deep. Exactly. As for the Knicks, uh, Neil Keen has been closing games for them as as I talked to him about it, and he's finding a comfort level. He's closing you know. Cl- you can see Jeff Hornacek is trusting him, and he's getting more comfortable. He's still got to finish around the rim better. Um, he, he kind of starts to rely on the pull-up a little more because he's struggling to finish around the rim. But uh, they are without Tim Hardaway Jr., which certainly hurts them. But I think what we're all looking forward to is that Porzingis-Embiid matchup. Two guys who can step out on the floor. Uh, Porzingis clearly more comfortable out there than Embiid is. But Embiid can defend out there, and that's a situation where you'd like to see them get the ball in the post a little and kind of pound him and see see if he can take charge down low. Yeah, I mean, these are these are two modern centers. The difference is, like you said, Embiid is more comfortable inside, where Porzingis, just because of his body type, and he's young and can develop strength and grow, he's not as comfortable inside. That's why he's still playing so much power forward, despite all the clamoring yeah. uh, to get him to center. And uh, that's... Everybody likes to talk about Embiid's injuries, but Porzingis' health is kind of something yeah. that also is worth monitoring. He has so many minor injuries and bumps and bruises, and uh, that's going to be a major question mark about the rest of his career. That was actually one of Phil Jackson's concerns about paying him and all this was really, was he physically going to hold up? But he has been fantastic. I mean, these the other thing about these two guys, and by the way, they aren't really going to be matched up. We talked about pounding it inside, but you, you are right in that Kylo Quinn will probably spend as much time or more time covering Embiid in the post than than uh, Porzingis, per se. But they're both really strong defensively. I mean, guys are shooting just over 40% against Porzingis when he's the rim protector. And it's he's got good timing, he's got pretty good instincts, but mostly he's just freakishly long. I mean, he has 7'3 with a, what was a 7'8, 7'9 wingspan. He just alters and changes stuff that you think you have clean. Absolutely. And with Embiid, too, when we talk about uh, teams going small and playing small, it's not because there's an advantage in being small. There's no advantage in being shorter than your opponent. The advantage is that there is a bigger advantage in being quicker and more mobile, and that kind of trumps the height difference in a lot of situations. 
Well, when you have guys like Embiid and Porzingis and they're healthy, then you're not giving up anything. They're big and mobile, and that's what makes them so strong defensively especially. Yeah, and when you talk about the small ball revolution in the NBA, it really is about mobility and versatility and ability to switch and, and that kind of stuff as much as it is you know pure size. I mean, what... What makes Golden State the the gold standard, as it were, of of small ball is that Draymond Green is an elite defender who can guard the fives and fours of the league and hold his own so that they don't lose anything and they can switch all the stuff on the perimeter. And Kevin Durant's come around defensively this year, but that's the standard. And I think that that's what you're really starting to see with Philadelphia. They've got pretty switchable guys, and and Covington's part of that. They've got. They're able to do a, a fair amount defensively, and then they have Embiid as the kind of the backstop. Exactly. All right. Well, that's the first game of the morning. After that, things slow way down because then it's Cleveland and Golden State, and who wants to see another fight? No, <laughs> this is the. If, I was about to say, if it wasn't that game, this is the game everybody wants to see: the finals rematch. Uh, these are two teams who have kind of much of this season. I don't want to say coasted, but I don't know how seriously they've taken everything. But I think that this is a game where they will show up focused and we'll see what kind of habits they have. Steph Curry not playing, uh, Draymond Green probably playing, and the the Cavaliers are relatively healthy. Uh, minus Isaiah Thomas. Well, I should, yes. Minus Isaiah Thomas, who is not going to play that day and probably, like, he's down in the G League, but he's not expected to be back until right around the first of the year somewhere. I'd like to just make a bigger point about the Cavs in the way you just kind of exclude Isaiah Thomas from that because he hasn't played this year and he's just sort of out of sight, out of mind until he gets back. The way people talk about the Cavs in relation to the Celtics, oh, look look how good the Celtics are doing with, with Kyrie Irving. This shows something about the trade and the Cavs aren't as good. The Cavs haven't gotten the best player in the moment that they acquired in the trade. They're looking almost as good, maybe even better in some ways than they were last year with Kyrie Irving. And they just lost him. You know, they have Jay Crowder who's not playing that well, but they haven't gotten this point guard back yet who they expected to contribute at some point this year in a big way for them. And they're just playing really well completely without Kyrie Irving or his replacement at point guard. That's true. But, uh, there will be though, I think, an adjustment period as he comes back, not only for Thomas, but I think, you know, having that second look, they clearly need the second ball handler. LeBron James, as of as of this recording, leads the league in minutes played in his 15th season. And LeBron is a, a beast and a kind of a physical freak of, freak of nature and takes care of his body, but that's too many minutes. Like, they need to take some load off of him, both time-wise and and just offensive load as we move through the season so he is as fresh as possible because they need they need this LeBron in the postseason, and Thomas brings that to the table. That's, I think, what they're missing. There'll be an adjustment period for a month or so, but I think they'll get there eventually, and they, they have to get there. They can't. You can't go into the playoffs as great as LeBron is. You have to have a secondary playmaker. Here's the good news, though, for anybody watching the game on Christmas. It makes the Cavs more entertaining in the short term. The more they put on LeBron, the more watchable they are. And yeah. it's, yes, it's more important they do that in the playoffs, and we'll be watching them then too. Uh, but if you want to watch on Christmas and want to see a lot of LeBron, yeah, that's a good thing. And we mentioned, I mentioned this briefly before, Kevin Durant has been a defensive beast this year, and he's going to get a lot of LeBron time. Certainly, I think if there's, if there's crunch time in this game, he's the guy who's going to be starting on LeBron, switched on LeBron, tried to stay on LeBron. Because of his length, and I think just isn't 
he doesn't have to carry quite as much offensively. He's been putting in more defensively the last season or do he's become a borderline all NBA defensive type of player this season. Well, so a couple things. I, I, and offensively, I think his load has picked up considerably yes. without Steph Curry out. Uh, overall, definitely doing a, a little less, not having to do as much. But with Curry out, a lot of times he's just taking over and the whole offense is running through him. And he's still keeping this up defensively. I think he made uh, a lot of strides defensively a couple of years ago and has continued to progress. What looks different to me is he's doing it in a different way. Uh, his defensive progress before came as, okay, I'm really going to use my length and uh, my mobility and, and try and be a shutdown perimeter defender and stay in front of guys and really challenge shots, and he made a lot of progress there. What he's doing now, he's playing more like a true seven-footer that maybe he is. He's protecting the rim, blocking shots at the rim, defending centers, and so it just increases his defensive versatility, allows the Warriors to switch even more, and makes their whole defense even more effective. Yeah, you know what also is fun about these kind of rematch games? And frankly, Dan, are you with me? This is still probably not only a rematch, but a preview of the finals. I still think this is the most likely outcome. What, do you think it's more likely than any other outcome? Or if you had to pick a team coming out of the East, and you have to pick a team coming out of the West? Because I, I am definitely with you that I'm picking the Cavs out of the East, I'm picking the Warriors out of the West. But I'm not so sure that that I would say it's going to be Warriors-Cavs over the field of any other potential matchup. Boy, that's a good question. I would say it's almost 50-50 for me because I yeah. think there's... If, if Golden State isn't 100% healthy, then I think Houston, if they are healthy, has a shot. If... if if today's Warriors, minus Steph Curry, for example, were in a seven-game series with, with Houston, I think Houston's got a legitimate shot. Um, in the East, I, I think Houston has a shot against the healthy Warriors. Limited. I still Not think, a great one, but yeah. a shot. I, I think there's a chance. I, I, I think Boston also has a shot against Cleveland. You know, We've talked about Isaiah Thomas not being there and not knowing what these teams look like exactly at the end of the season. Um, I don't know. Boston might decide that they're in and make a move at the deadline. Not a... Not a you know, DeAndre Jordan type of move, not a not a move for the big name on the board, but adding some depth to that. And you know, I'm not betting on Gordon Hayward being back, but they feel they you know talking to some people there, they feel they've got a shot. And if it's possible, so I would I would almost say it's fifty fifty that one of those two teams. I don't I don't see anybody else. I don't think like somebody Washington to Toronto seemed like a step back to me in the in the west in the east I should say and although Toronto's played really well Toronto's lately very well yeah Toronto's playing great basketball of late although I should note through a really soft part of the schedule like they did have yeah. Indiana in there but they've 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 beaten the teams they're supposed to beat so you know good on them that's what you're supposed to do but I I'm not not fully buying that they're they're competing in a in a seven game series with the other guys but they're playing fantastic ball. Um, I really don't think when we get into San Antonio and, and Oklahoma City, who's kind of actually fourth, I still think Oklahoma City is going to finish fourth. They, they, if you just look at the point differential and stuff, I think they get to around you know, 49, 50 wins and finish fourth. And But I don't think that Oklahoma City right now is on the level of these top two teams. So I, I, I think there's kind of four teams we can we can select from, and it's most likely Golden State and and Cleveland, but I'm I'm not a hundred percent sold on that. It's like I said, it's almost a coin toss that somebody else sneaks in. I wouldn't dismiss San Antonio uh, as quickly as you did. Just just the I know it's a small sample and there were some fluky things, but the success they had against the Warriors in last year's playoffs before Kawhi Leonard got hurt, you know that just has me wondering what Popovich yeah. has up his sleeve. 
And, and, and you know, look, this team has played fantastically without Kawhi Leonard. They're just getting him back and just getting him involved, and he's been efficient again. So we expect that pretty soon they'll, they will be a force of nature as well. Uh, but I think that the other fun thing I didn't even get into about the finals rematch preview, these teams know each other and have scouted each other. When you get two NBA teams during the course of a regular season, they don't, I mean, there's some game planning and there is some, hey, you know, force this guy left, force this guy right, how you're going to handle things. But it's not like, I don't know, an NFL game plan where you have a week to really tweak what you're doing and change some of the things you want to do. But that does happen in the playoffs. And it's easier for these teams to call up that, those weapons and say, hey, remember, this is what we did in the finals. We, We forced this this way. We switched here. We did this and play at a more playoff level of of basketball IQ than you will see in a regular season game just because of the timing. You you want a good indicator of whether these teams are treating this like a playoff game with that type of preparation and using those bags of tricks. Look to see if Kevin Durant and LeBron James are matched up at center. If they are, that means these teams really care because because the teams both kind of want to limit how often that happens. They don't want either of those stars to get all the the pounding, but they're so good when they do it, and it's worked against the other team in certain ways. So if they go to that, if both teams go to that, that shows, yeah, this is something where they care. I I hope we get to see that. Then comes the third game of the day, the Washington Wizards at the Boston Celtics, and I think this game can be interesting for this reason, Dan. The Wizards are a good team when they show up and are focused. Like, they... They want to believe that they are right up there with Toronto, you know, right on knocking on the doorstep and a threat to Cleveland and a threat to to uh, Boston. But they don't bring it every night. And, and the best teams do. And I've seen them in person twice this season. And both times they were just flat. It's 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 kind of disappointing to watch. I, they don't bring it nightly, but I think when they bring it, they're good. And, I, you know, national television against one of the teams above them, they'll be bringing it for this game. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there, there seems to be a little bit of a rivalry brewing yeah. in some ways between the, the Celtics and Wizards, and I don't know if the Wizards are going to wear all black to this game or <laughs> wear green and red or some, something festive. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm with you. I do think they'll care, and I, I think that bodes well for them. The fact that they can reach such a high level, yes, the, that they don't always bring it is somewhat concerning. That's never a great thing, but this has been a team that that's, the core has been together for a little while now. They've been to the playoffs. They've advanced in the playoffs. They can save some of their energy. They sort of know what they're about and can save some of their energy. Hopefully they don't on Christmas Day because that's always a fun time for everybody to watch. Uh, But it's not so concerning to me if this team isn't always playing at 100% effort just because they have that chemistry already. How much is there for them to prove during this regular season? They still have one of the best starting front uh, starting rotations, starting five in the league. They are dominant there. Things slide a little when they go into the bench, but the bench has been better this season. Not not great, but better. <laughs> Such a low bar to clear. <laughs> it truly is, unfortunately for them. But I think with... With, with the bench play this year, they're getting a little more. Tim Frazier, but he's actually been passed. I mean, I was Tim Frazier, I was excited to see at the start of the season, but Sadoransky's getting most of the backup point guard minutes, and he's a guy they were really high on there and hasn't developed as much as they thought, but he's really athletic and and has some skills and brings, a, brings some scoring to that punch to that second unit. 
Absolutely, and it's worth mentioning Mike Scott, too. Oh, God, yes. Uh, Scott, Scott has been on a, a tear lately, and uh, you know, just, just playing very well makes things easier for them when his long-distance shot is going in. Yeah, he was shooting uh, over 60% in, it was almost 70% total in his last ten, uh, five or six games because I did that for uh, power rankings. And yeah, he was shooting almost 50% from three, really making a difference for them off the bench. That's the kind of bench play they need. We talked a little bit about the Celtics. Look, this is, they've established themselves. If, if the goal this season, and we didn't think this would happen after the Gordon Hayward injury, but they have established themselves as a legit challenger for the top rung of the East. I mean, they were technically there last year, but I think this year they are more of a playoff threat. Uh, yeah, well, especially in hindsight, because we saw how the, the Celtics were completely overmatched by the time they got to the Cavaliers. Although I, I will admit during at, around this point last season, yeah. I thought the Celtics could challenge the Cavaliers and they, they obviously couldn't. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, they still kind of have to prove it. They have some young players that they're relying on. Uh, that that's always dangerous to get into the playoffs. And once you get to that level, I think experience matters more. Uh, you know, how are, how are Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum going to hold up in the playoffs? I, you know, I don't know. But, but for the Celtics, this is a team where I think playing hard and caring more about the regular season and developing this chemistry is more important than the Wizards. And the Celtics are doing that. Agreed. And I, that is one of the showcase things for Christmas Day for people who haven't seen them. Jason Tatum has been just fantastic great three-point shooting just fitting into their offense and I you know probably second right now behind Ben Simmons in in would be in a, in a rookie of the year race just based on consensus but um I think he's had some advantages over I don't know the Dennis Smiths and the Lonzo Balls and the guys who have had the ball in their hands a lot and had the had had the weight of a franchise thrown on them you know he's out there with with Al Horford and Kyrie Irving and doesn't have to create his own shot but really taking advantage of the opportunities given him. You can't knock what he's done. He's fit in perfectly for what they needed and better than anyone would expect. Right. And and it really, for him, yes, it helps have all that. It just comes down to he's making three-pointers at a ridiculous clip. It's over 50%. Yeah. I don't necessarily expect him to sustain that. No. But, but even if – I think the stretch is enough to show uh, that he's a better three-point shooter than at least me and probably most people – thought he would ever be in the NBA. I don't know what he's going to regress to, but when you shoot over 50% for about 100 shots, yeah, guys do that, but they're good three-point shooters who do it. I I'm, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm curious who the worst three-point shooter is to ever shoot 50% over a 100 three-pointer sample. Uh, I don't think it's somebody who is a, a bad three-point shooter. Yeah, agreed, agreed. The other guy I want to mention just really briefly, Al Horford's been fantastic. Al uh-huh. Horford has really been great for Boston and and should be playing in the All Star game when it comes to Los Angeles. I don't know you're going to find better front court men in in the East, you know, and or enough of them to fill out on a roster. They, I mean, there are you know he's not starting, but he should be in Los Angeles. He's been fantastic and fantastic defensively. He has been. This is they are really fun to watch defensive team. They are smooth with their switches, like like a veteran team, not a team that had a bunch of new guys thrust in this year. They've been fantastic on that end, and Horford's at the heart of it. Yes, absolutely. And, and I like how we're talking about so many different players on this team because one thing I've found kind of ridiculous is this Kyrie Irving MVP talk. Irving is a very good player having a very good season, uh, but he's on a good overall team. They're well coached. They're deep. They've got several players contributing, especially Al Horford, who who hasn't gotten his just due. And I'm with you. He should be an all star. 
and they've got all these good things going for them. You don't need to heap everything going on with this team, what's made this team successful, all on Kyrie Irving just to give him MVP votes. MVP's an, an individual award. And he's not of that caliber. He's just on a really good team. No, but he has been good. We'll give him that. Yes. Like, he has been fantastic. The 8 o'clock Eastern game, this is the, hey, who's the third best team in the in the West game? Or, well, it's probably San Antonio right now, but who wants to be in that other mix? Houston versus Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City has strung a few wins together, played a little better lately, but is it okay if I'm not totally sold yet? Yeah, that's it's going to be hard to be totally sold for a little while because when they've looked bad and discombobulated considering their star power, they've looked real bad. Yeah. It's hard to get past those stretches when Agre- they string together uh, for a little while in December. Agreed. And part of it, I mean, I hate to do this, but really... I think the biggest issue for them, I mean, they're they're playing next to each other, not with each other. They, they even when they try to run the Hawks set in certain sets where they move playing off each other and trying to force the defense to make a, a hard decision on which guy to cover and which and how to handle this, there's still it still just doesn't work the way you would like it to flow. But I think the biggest part of their thing is Father Time's win in the race with with Carmelo Anthony. I mean, I, I really hate to see that. Um, he's going to opt into that contract now next year. I just you watch him play and you think he's just not that guy anymore. Even with the second unit, and it he can be exposed defensively. He's not quite the same guy offensively. He'll have maybe he'll have a spurt. He can have those individual games. Maybe Christmas Day he has one of those games. But night in and night out, it's it, he's just not the same guy. He's not. But I think part of that is about managing expectations. I never expected him to be that guy and uh, it looks even worse when he's trying in vain to fit in with with Paul George and Russell Westbrook because that's just not his game I'd like him much more maybe he just needs to come off the bench but if you were playing more minutes as that bench scorer I think you could see him come up a little bit Uh, but yeah he's still at the age where he's not going to be nearly as good as he used to be I don't know if his ego would let him. I think a Dwayne Wade kind of role would be better for him with how Dwayne Wade is playing with the Cavaliers off the bench. But I don't know if we're going to see that. I don't know that, that how should I put this politically, in the locker room that they can do that. Well, I, I guess the analog I'll make is last year, uh, Samaj Christian was the, the backup point guard for the Thunder throughout most of the, the season. And he was so overmatched. He was not yeah. an NBA caliber rotation player. No matter how hard he tried, it was just too much for him. Yet game after game, they put him out there and just got run off the floor and then asked Russell Westbrook to come back in and save them. And that was the back and forth throughout the whole season until their backs were finally against the wall into the playoffs and they're on the verge of elimination. And they go to Victor Oladipo at point guard and when Russell Westbrook's off the court and have much more success with that. And... You know, maybe that just shows Billy Donovan's ideas about how to do things and stick with things, or maybe it shows uh, that he learned his lesson. And this time, sure, we'll give this a shot. It's worth, even at this point in the season, it's worth trying to make it work with all three. That would keep everybody happiest and, and make everything easier and offers the most upside. But maybe he'll be a little quicker this time to make a change that maybe deep down he knew was the right one all along. So you're saying. 
Kevin Pritchard watched that series and realized Victor Oladipo <laughs> was really good with the ball in his hands and made sure he got him in that trade, is what you're saying. Was, I don't yeah. think he was that good. <laughs> I don't think anybody, I don't think Kevin Pritchard thought he was, was that good. But, boy, he's been phenomenal this season with the Pacers. Houston, um, th- I think the thing that gets overlooked, look, we knew their offense would be good. Well, hopefully Chris Paul will be back and healthy. We At the time of this taping, we don't know what the, the ab- left abductor, which is essentially a groin strain, those things are slow to heal and easy to re-injure, so they'll probably be a little cautious. I don't know if he's going to play on Christmas Day. Uh, that said, they're plenty good offensively without him. Uh, what, what's great about this team is they're seventh in the league defensively. They have been really surprisingly good defensively. They missed Clint Capella in the, a lot in the, uh, in the loss to the Lakers, although that was a bit of a one-off, I think. Uh, they've become a really solid defensive team. Yeah, and so are the Thunder. I mean, yeah. Oh, second. Look at the stars yeah. and the flashiness that sometimes these teams show. At the core, what's make, driving both these teams this year is really good defense. Exactly. So what Dan is saying, everybody is bet the under. In fact, you know, if you don't, if you bet the under and you don't win, just call Dan, and and he'll cover you. He'll cover you. Well, with Chris Paul out, I don't know because the Rockets kind of revert to being more of what they were last year, which was still a really good team when Paul's off the court. When Harden's in, you know, they're still yeah. better defensively. Uh, but oh, part of what made, has made them better this year defensively is Chris Paul. Yeah, he is. He is good at steals, underrated defensively. And I'll still look, it's like everything Chris Paul does. He's so smart. He's such a good floor general. Um, and I, you know, there's a reason he wins that award every year where the, you know, the GM survey, it's not really an award, but the GM survey comes out and they're like, which player will make the best coach? And it's always Chris Paul. And then somebody always asks Chris Paul about it, and he rolls his eyes like, "You think I have the patience to coach people?" Like <laughs> he has, he has, you know, he, like Kobe, he may coach his kids, um, he may coach his kids' team someday. Although I doubt he, like Kobe, gets them them to run the triangle. Uh, but that's about <laughs> the extent of his coaching career. He is not going to, uh, he, he he's not going to coach at a high level. But he is really solid defensively, and and they well, hopefully, hopefully, he's healthy enough to play on Christmas Day. Which leads us to the last and final game of the night. One, Dan, you are actually going to be at um, the Minnesota Timberwolves going up against the Los Angeles Lakers at Staples Center. The Lakers have played hard. I mean, they got the win against um, against uh, Houston. I'm sorry, the other night. But more than just that, you know, they took Golden State to overtime. They took the Knicks to overtime. They've played really hard of late, and I think they're improving. Timberwolves have a lot more talent on the roster, but I, I, there's just something about them when I watch them that I just still have concerns despite all the wins. Yeah, this could be a real interesting matchup in the fourth quarter when you have the Timberwolves, uh, who, at least as the narrative and some facts go, uh, are going to be worn down. Their starters will have played a ton of minutes. And then you have the younger Lakers who play really hard, who are, are a little deeper and can balance their minutes a little more. Uh, and so you've got the the better team that's worn down a little bit. You got the lesser team that's hungrier and fresher. Uh, and then who wins out? It's yeah. It's actually a good, interesting debate and question. I think the the I think part of that with Minnesota too is man, their defense is just not good. <laughs> Especially transition defense, which can get them ahead. That can get them in trouble against the Lakers. Not just because. Lonzo Ball leads the league in those look-ahead passes, which he does actually incredibly well for a rookie. Um, Brook Lopez and others have talked about how it's it's just kind of stunning how how well he f- understands that pass at this age. But more than that, 
Like, they just get out and run, and Minnesota is absolutely dreadful in transition defense, which is what gets them in the most trouble. Their they're half-court's okay, but they give up way too many easy baskets. They do, and, well, their half-court is okay at best. Yeah. Like, that's part of the problem, is it's not as if they're a lockdown half-court team. They're probably a somewhere in the range of bad, maybe not terrible, but somewhere in the range of bad in the half-court. And a lot of their problems... Uh, Start with Carl Anthony Towns yep. for whatever reason. All the tools he has, all the defensive promise he showed at Kentucky and even his first year in the league, he just looks so lost. He never looks like he knows where he's going. He it looks just so often inept on defense, and it's hard to explain because Tom Thibodeau is supposed to be a good defensive coach. and uh, There could be some Thibs-related issues with the defense, too. That's not to let Thibs off the hook and pin it all on Carl Anthony Towns. But when you have a big man who's just so inept defensively, it really puts you behind the eight ball. It leads to the kind of question everybody's asking, I don't say everybody's asking, but it's come up around the league, and I've talked to people about, is there coming, how long before they get to the point where Tom Thibodeau with this roster clearly isn't the healthy combination that's going to work and they go another direction? Like, how long does this experiment go as is before they decide it's not working? a good question and how, how long i guess this is a smaller much smaller related question is how long does tips decide what he's doing isn't working the defense that made him so good came it wasn't a completely different era of the nba but but tips to his credit was such an offensive pioneer he sparked so much with how he defended he made teams pass more yep. and become more dynamic offensively to get around the way his defense has overloaded the strong side, yet he's still playing the same scheme. He's not switching like other teams do. He's playing a way that worked when he was in Chicago, uh, but also maybe doesn't work as well now. No, I that all the off the ball movement, the the you know we'll call them the Kyle Korver actions because was Atlanta was one of the first teams to do it. But that off the ball action, also just simply running the pick and roll out at the top as opposed to running it on the wing where it's hard, so it's harder to overload it's harder to kind of put that defense in place that's all reactions to Thibodeau's defense because once it worked every team went to it every team started defending with some variant of that style and offenses had to adapt and a lot of what we see with a again to use the easy example a lot of what the warriors do is the reactionary offense to stymieing Thibodeau they you know they're granted they're doing it with insane talent and and, and cohesion but a lot of what they run, a lot of this, and also just getting back and getting plays run before the defense sets is all mm-hmm. kind of based off of reactions to how his teams used to defend and how that slowed the league, not slowed the league down, but how that you know Celtics team won a title. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so does Tibbs think his way is still going to work and it's just because he has young players or players uh, not as comfortable defending together? That could be. Uh, that could be effective. I mean, Wiggins is another player who, who has yeah. more defensive tools than he's utilized. And uh, Jimmy Butler is out there defending his butt off every night, yeah. and he's their best defender. And uh, when he's on the court, that salvages them a little bit. But he's just trying to plug holes. Like, it's a leaky ship. Uh, Todd Gibson is at the age where he's not quite as mobile, can't do as much. He gets it, uh, and he knows what he's doing, and he's still somewhat effective because of that. But you get him, and I don't know if the Lakers have somebody to take advantage, but you get him in matchups with more skilled, younger players. It can be a problem. Uh, and so I, 
there are a lot of holes in this defense. There's not one single thing that's going to fix everything. No. The Lakers are running a lot of just that athletic guy, Larry Nance Jr. and Kyle Kuzma, you know, some combination of that at the four. Kuzma, you know, 38 the other night in the in the game against the Rockets, he is probably third right now in MVP voting. I mean, not MVP, Rookie of the Year voting, not not quite MVP <laughs> I love level. It. Let's go with it. Let's go. He's a future <laughs> MVP, obviously. But, I mean, this was a guy drafted down the board who were like, yeah, maybe he could develop into something. And, oh, look at He looks pretty good at Summer League. Again, shot three threes at 32% his senior year game at 32% his senior year of college. And here he is just knocking them down like nothing. It's amazing how his game has adapted to the NBA, but the Lakers are using him well, and he's the kind of guy who can give Taj Gibson trouble. Yeah, after a little bit of what seemed like regression to the mean, he's up to 40% on three-pointers. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, he's a good shooter, and that's really, especially with young players, I think what's differentiated them is the shooting. We talked yeah. about Jason Tatum, yeah. and, and Ben Simmons is special in a whole other way, so I'm going to leave him out of this for a second. But we talked about Jason Tatum. And now we're talking about Kyle Kuzma. Those are guys who have just made their shots early. You look at the rookies who are struggling, and it's basically the rest of them, and they're just not shooting well on three-pointers, and it makes such a difference now. Because, again, going back to the tip this is how offenses have evolved. You make these three-pointers, you get efficient scoring directly, you space the floor, and it puts a different type of pressure on the defense Tibbs likes to run. I will say the other thing I think I've really seen with Kuzma and and Tatum – is decisiveness. They, they uh-huh. really make quick, fast decisions and make their call and make their play and just kind of go with it much more like a veteran than uh, the rookies who tend to hesitate and they're looking for that extra play. They're thinking. You know, the game is starting to slow down for for ball. You can see it with Neil Aquina. You can see it. You know, we that he talked about it in this game. The game is slowing down for him. It's slowing down for a lot of them. But it never seemed very fast for Tatum or Kuzma. They they were making quick decisions and and making great plays from the start. Another young player on the Lakers who I think has progressed in that. Now it took him a year. He wasn't making these quick decisions last year. Uh, but that's Brandon Ingram, yeah. who looks so much more decisive on his drives. Uh, but Jimmy Butler is going to be a, I'm, who I'm guessing will be guarding him. I suppose it could be Wiggins. Uh, if so, good for a little both for probably. The Lakers. Yeah. But but if it's more Butler, man, those drives that Brandon Ingram has been getting, uh, they're going to be a lot tougher. Yeah, and Ingram, surprisingly, because he is still skinny, <laughs> to, to put it kindly, mm-hmm. but he has a little bit. He's stronger than people think. He's a little more Kevin Durant skinny. Than, than people really, and I don't, again, I hate that comparison for him, but in terms of physical build, like he's stronger than you think he is. Not Jimmy Butler strong. <laughs> Jimmy Butler's no. a whole nother, whole nother level of man strong that, that's, you're right, would make those drives difficult. So it's going to be interesting to see how that, how they match up. It's, that should be an entertaining nightcap uh, that you get to attend. Uh, it should be an entertaining day of games as always, man. Yeah, I think so. I think the NBA, you know, you got to predict it before the season, and I think came out with some pretty good matchups. There were some big question marks. Is Embiid going to be healthy? And I still think that's a question mark. I'm not as convinced as some others that he'll play. Uh, But another big one is, are the Knicks going to be any good? Are they going to be a train wreck and unwatchable? No, they're watchable. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun day of games. Dan, uh, thanks for doing this. Where can everybody find you on Twitter? Besides finding you at Staples Center. Again, to get your money back from him, you can find him at Staples Center on Christmas. But aside that, where can they find you on Twitter? (laughs) I'm on Twitter at Dan Feldman NBA. 
Thanks a lot for doing this, and thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back next week with more from Pro Basketball Talk, talking about the Christmas Day games probably and a lot more. Uh, Thanks for listening, and again, go into iTunes, Apple Podcasts, slash PBT on NBC, subscribe, comment, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.